So you got your penny. Um, if you didn't get a penny, you don't need it like for the message, but it will be helpful. And my hope is that maybe it serves as a little bit of a reminder for you. So we'll talk through the penny here in just a second. I'll explain what we're going to do with it and we'll keep referencing it throughout the day. But if you've been with us uh, since the beginning of the year, we have been slowly studying the gospel of Mark. And the gospel of Mark is, is hopefully it's helping us lean in and understand who Jesus is not just who he is, but also what he did, what he's continuing to do, and how we can be more and more like him. And we say we're going slowly through the gospel of Mark uh, because we're doing just that. Between now and Easter, we will be going through the gospel of Mark. And one of the things that we've noticed as we've been studying Mark and how he writes and how he puts his, what we'd call his gospel together, his news about Jesus, is he groups things together. He groups moments together and stories together and teachings together and miracles together. And we are going to see that again this morning. He is going to group four different miracles or four different moments together. So if you have your Bible, let me show you where we're going to be the rest of the morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 mainly, a little bit in chapter 4. Mark did not write in the chapters. That came much later just to help us organize and find things. So we see these four miracles, these four moments that Mark is intentionally grouping together. So this is where the penny comes in, right? You know the phrase, there are two sides of every coin. There's always two sides to every coin. doesn't mean one side is right and one side is wrong. It's not pointing to opposites. It's just saying if you want to have a holistic view, you've got to recognize there's this side and then there's that side. Both sides are accurate. Both sides are true. But you do have to make sure you're not neglecting one side or else you will be called one-sided, right? And oftentimes when it comes to reading scripture, we tend to be, this is just natural for all of us, we tend to be one-sided, we tend to read a passage and we see one aspect of it, but what we see Mark, the author here, doing is he's trying to help us see multiple sides of these four miracles. Typically, when it comes to miracles, we read a miracle, we study a miracle, and we love the miracles of Jesus. Those miracles show us the power of Jesus. It shows us how amazing Jesus is, shows us that Jesus can do what no one else can possibly do. So that is one side of the miracles that Mark is going to write and tell us about. We are going to see the power of Jesus through these four miracles, the authority of Jesus, that Jesus can do all things. He is the ultimate authority and he has ultimate power, but that is one side. There's another side to the miracles as well. The other side is where we get to see what Jesus really cares about. We might use the word priority. So if you see the power of Jesus on one side, if you flip that coin over, if you keep reading into the scriptures, you see not just the power of Jesus, you also see the priorities of Jesus, what he cares about, what he desires, and we see that by how he leads people, who he leads, and where he leads them to. So throughout our entire morning of, of a quick study of these four moments, these four miracles, we are going to keep flipping back and forth. We're going to see the power of Jesus on one side, and then we're going to see the priority of Jesus. Then we're going to see in the next miracle, the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, but then we're going to see what is he really focused on? What does Jesus truly and genuinely care about? Now, like I said, we're going to go through four of these, and because Mark likes to group things, that means instead of spending all of our time in a few passages, we have to spend all of our time in a lot of passages. So we're going to bounce around a little bit through these four moments. We don't have time to thoroughly dig into each of these four miracles, so here's where I need you to step in to your own faith this week. 
Don't just, well, Brian kind of paraphrased and covered a few of these. I need you to spend some time digging in a little bit deeper this week on your own. We've been doing this each and every week. In fact, here's the Bible reading plan. If you're not getting it, if you haven't opted in yet, you can text Bible to that number right there, 706-903-9099. Every Monday, you will get a text message that gives you the passage to read with maybe a question or a prayer or a thought to go with it. And the intent is not that Monday you get your text message, you read all of chapter five as fast as you possibly can, and you're good until the following Monday. What have we been saying? We wanna go slow. So the intent is you would read chapter five on Monday, chapter five on Tuesday, chapter five on Wednesday, and so on, that you would live and sit in that passage as you move a little slower. We've gotta go a little bit quicker on a Sunday morning. I want you to slow down. And go a little slower, go a little deeper. We send out those emails every Tuesday. Scan the QR code on the back of your chair that says scan me. Sign up for the emails and you'll get a going deeper email every Tuesday. So you can read it through a little slowly and then you can dig a little deeper. Have some discussion with your family, friends, roommates, uh, some other people in a Bible study. But that's the intent. All right, so you got your penny. Be thinking of this side and that side. Both are true, both are accurate, but you need to look at both to get a full and holistic picture. That's what we want to see. So with these four miracles, here's the context. Uh, Jesus's reputation, we've seen this, is growing. More and more people are coming to Jesus, and there's still a lot of resistance with Jesus. The four moments or the four miracles we're going to see, it's actually interesting. It all happens on one boat ride. It begins on the lake, and then Jesus and his disciples are going to go the other side of the lake, There's going to be a miracle there. Then they're going to get back on the boat. They're going to go back to where they start on the other side of the lake, and there's going to be a couple miracles there. So all of this is going to happen, as Mark explains, on one boat ride. The first miracle we see is on the lake. This is where we start in chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We are going to pick it up in verse 39. But if you don't know the story, again, as you go through this week, you can kind of see a little bit more context. But basically, Jesus and his disciples are on the lake. And this storm, massive storm, shows up. The disciples are not just afraid, they are terrified. They are for sure, they are going to drown. And then Jesus wakes up. That's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 39 out of chapter 4. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. A better translation, if you look at what Jesus actually said in the original language, is more of like a hush. Like, stop it. Quit. Shh. He literally hushed the winds and the waves. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Verse 40, then he asked them, talking to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right, let's look at the two sides of the miracle. Start with the power. It's obvious, right? You don't have to read too deep into it to see the power of Jesus that even the wind and the waves obey him. The one side of Jesus' power is that he brings peace. He has ultimate authority, he has ultimate power, and he is able to bring peace into storms, peace into the chaos. When everything else is out of control, he is in control. Nothing surprises him and nothing is above him. All of creation obeys him. So we see the power of Jesus. But it's not just about the power. The flip side has to do with what Jesus is actually focusing on, right? Jesus' words actually lean into this big question of, why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? Or other translations would say, "Where, where is your faith? Where is your faith? See, Jesus was focused on the disciples' faith, not so much the storm. We see the power, 
But then he leans in and begins to lead his disciples just a little bit deeper into their own faith. When he's asking that rhetorical question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Or where is your faith? He's saying, why don't you trust me? Right? The disciples have seen Jesus' power on display. They, they have seen, they have walked with him. They have heard him teach some incredible things. And in fact, they've actually left everything to follow Jesus. So they absolutely have a faith. It takes faith to leave everything and follow Jesus. They are followers of Jesus. They are disciples of Jesus. They have faith, yet still they're afraid. Still they're worried. Still they get overwhelmed in different situations. And Jesus is like, have you not seen enough of me? Have, have you not enough trust in me still? It's as if the disciples would say, yeah, yeah, we trust Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we have faith in Jesus, just not with that storm, just not on the lake, just not in that environment. We trust Jesus in a lot of different ways and a lot of different areas, and we prove that, but not right now, not with this. So they trusted Jesus, but not with everything. So Jesus meets us where we are. We're gonna say that time and time again. The power of Jesus gets put on display because he shows up in the midst of us and in the midst of our messes and our storms and his power's on display. So he meets us where we are. That shows the power of Jesus. But then he's also gonna lead us just a little bit deeper in our faith. And specifically here for the disciples, he's gonna call them to trust him more. And I think the same is true for us. Jesus meets us where we are. Yet he calls us to trust him more. You might say, yes, I do trust in Jesus and I believe in Jesus and I have faith in Jesus. Well, what about the storms of life? What about that environment? What about that relationship? What about that situation? We all have a that one. And do you trust him in that? He meets us where we are, yet he continues to call us to a deeper faith by trusting in him more. Do you see the two sides of the miracle? You see how, how Mark is pointing this out? Jesus is the one, didn't it? Mark's just pointing it out. He's like, I want you to see the power of Jesus, but I also want you to see how Jesus is gonna move people and lead people and call people into a deeper faith. It's not just like, man, wasn't that awesome? I just made the winds and waves stop. It was, yes, look at what I can do, but I also wanna lead you and call you into a deeper faith. We're gonna see that each and every time. So he wanted them to trust Jesus a little bit more. Here's the second moment or the second miracle. Now we're in chapter five, verse one. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Now we're gonna stop there and then we're gonna, like I said, jump ahead, dig in a little bit more this week. In fact, we spent an entire Sunday diving deep into this specific passage back in August. So if this passage is, is maybe a little bit more curious to you or if you wanna lean in a little bit more, you can find stuff on the website. You can go back, find the passage uh, or the, the message we did on this passage back in August. Uh, dug in really deep to this demon-possessed man and what was going on in the context, a lot of that. We don't have time for that today, but if you wanna dig in, uh, you're more than welcome to. But one thing I do want you to pay attention to here and Mark is very specific in some areas, very generic in other areas. So when Mark is specific, we should pay attention. And he's specific in not just, well, they went to the other side. He says specifically the region that they went, to the region of the Gerasenes. And the reason that's important is so far in Jesus' ministry, he's been in what we would call like Jewish territory. People that knew the one true God. Now they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, but they, they knew the one true God. Now Jesus is going into a region of what we would call Gentiles. Gentiles are anyone that is not Jewish. 
So in other words, they did not believe in the one true God. They have a different faith system, a different belief system. They had different values. They followed different ways. And so now Jesus seems to be intentionally, and as far as we know for the first time, going into a region of people that do not know God. So he's intentionally going to people that do not have a faith. If you keep reading, he is very, very specific. Mark is very specific on what was going on with this demon-possessed man. I mean, he was up in the hills, living in the tombs, naked, bloody, self-destruction. I mean, it was, a, it was a horrific scene, horrific scene. But as soon as Jesus and his boat and his disciples come off the boat and they land in this new region, we're told that this demon-possessed man recognizes Jesus. The demons recognize Jesus, run to Jesus, and bow down at his feet. In fact, they even call him, what are you doing here, the most high God? So again, we already see the power of Jesus at play because even the demons recognize him, bow at his feet, and call him the most holy one. We're going to fast forward to after Jesus heals this man and calls the demons out. Fascinating story, pigs, lakes, a lot of things. You can read it on your own. Verse 15, here's after this man was healed and Jesus called out the demons. Verse 15, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Very different scene now than it was before. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were all afraid. They couldn't believe it. This is not the man that we remember. This is not the man that used to be running around crazy in the hills like, Something drastic has happened, and it scared them. Verse 16, then those who had seen what happened told others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. That's when Jesus called out the demons. Verse 17, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Can you imagine that? Here's Jesus and does an incredible miracle with this man, and everybody is so afraid of the power of Jesus. Right? We're not afraid of the power that we can control. We get afraid of the power that we don't understand and we can't control. So they start getting afraid of Jesus and they start saying, please leave us. Please just go away. Even though the power of Jesus was on display, there was many that wanted him to leave. We're going to contrast that and compare that to what happens next in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Isn't that interesting? The entire town begged Jesus to leave. And this one man was begging to go with him. But Jesus said, no. Usually we don't hear Jesus say, no, don't follow me. This is one of those. No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Verse 20, so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. All right, let's talk about the two sides. The power side of this story, the power side of this miracle, we see that again, the ultimate power and the ultimate authority of Jesus, that even demons bow down to him, even demons obey him, that Jesus says, come out of this man, and these demons have no other choice but to obey. That points to the power and the authority of Jesus that he has over not just creation, we saw that in the last one, but over all of the spiritual world as well. We see the power on display, and Jesus uses that power to give this man freedom, Again, if you read this on your own, you'll see this man was held captive by the evil spirits within him. And even though you might not be demon-possessed, I think we can all relate to what it's like to have something not of God controlling our life. And Jesus came onto the scene and gave this man freedom, gave him freedom. That's the power side. Now let's flip the coin over and let's look at Jesus' priority. 
What did Jesus really care about? First of all, just by Jesus going to this region tells us he cares about those that don't know him. We saw that again if you were studying with us with the story of Matthew or Levi, where Jesus said, I've come not for the healthy, I've come for the who? What did he call them? He called them the sick. He said, I've come for those that are sick. I've come for those that are needy. I've come for those that are desperate. I've come for those that don't have faith in me. Like, that's who I've come for. So we partially see the priority of Jesus here if he's come to those that don't have faith. But if we keep reading, again, that verse 18 is fascinating because here's this man that says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, will, I, I can't believe what you've done in my life. I wanna leave everything behind and I wanna get on this boat and I wanna follow you wherever you go. I wanna walk around with you. And Jesus says, what? No. He says, no, I don't want you to get in the boat with me. I don't want you to go to the other side of the lake with me. I don't want you to follow me around. Instead, I have a job for you. Notice what Jesus told him to do. He said, no, I want you to go back to your family, and I want you to begin to tell them what has happened and who you met. Because this is a region that doesn't know Jesus. And so Jesus says, I want you to start telling other people about me. And what I love about this man, he obviously didn't just go back to his home. We're told that he went to the 10 towns and he started going about through the entire region and like, you won't believe what happened to me. I met this man named Jesus and look what he did and you won't believe this and I'm living proof that he must be who he says he is. He began, this man began to spread the word in that entire region. The power of Jesus gave this man freedom, but the priority of Jesus called this man to a new purpose. Literally, he gave him a mission. He gave him a new job and said, now it's time for you to go and tell others. The power of Jesus met this man where he was at, in the middle of his lack of faith, no faith, non-existent faith, but also at his lowest of lows. Jesus met this man when he was possessed by an evil spirit, when he was naked, when he was alone, when he was living amongst the tombs, living among the dead, cutting himself, he met this man without faith at his lowest of lows and showed his power by giving him freedom. Jesus meets us where we are, but then he called this man to a deeper faith, didn't he? He said, no, I don't want you to just get in a boat with me. I want you to go and tell others. So what would we say for us if Jesus meets us where we are at and then calls us to a deeper faith? Jesus meets us where we are and then he calls us to be part of his purpose, his mission, right? We get different language in the end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus says to his disciples, to his followers, all authority in heaven on earth, I've got, and now I'm gonna give that to you. And you know what he tells them to do? Do you know what it is? Go and go forth. Yes, go and tell, go and make disciples. Go tell other people everything that I've commanded and everything that I've taught you and baptize them. And this isn't just for you. This is for all the nations. We're seeing the beginning of that starting to get, get lived out. His power, but also his priorities. You've got to see both. He meets us where we are at, but then he calls us to be part of his purpose. He gives us a new job. He gives us a new mission. And that mission is to go and make disciples, to go and tell. All right, so they get back in the boat. Now they're going to go to the other side. Now, these last two moments, these last two miracles are a little bit intertwined. It's going to be a decent amount of reading, so like, follow along with me. And again, as you go back through this week, uh, you'll be able to dig in a little bit more to context. So here's the next scene, verse 21. Jesus gets back into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. That's nothing new. Everywhere he goes, there's large crowds. 
Large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Verse 22, then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. As a dad, I cannot think of a more horrific sentence to speak. I cannot think of one. To fall at Jesus' feet, desperate. My little girl is dying. Jesus, I need you to do something. He's desperate, frantic, humbles himself before Jesus, but he's got a plan. Jairus has a plan. He says, Jesus, if you will come with me, this is going to work out. Jesus, if you will come with me right now, this is urgent. We don't have a lot of time. She is in the midst of dying. She is on her way to death. I need you to come with me right now. I will take you to my house so that you can lay hands on her. Do you hear Jairus' plan? Come with me right now. I'll take you to my house. You can lay hands on her, and I believe that she will be healed. He's desperate, but he has a plan. Jesus seems to be okay with this plan. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. So there has to be hope for this dad. Like, okay, my plan is in motion. This was the hardest part of the plan is to get Jesus to follow me, but now he's coming with me. So now we're on the way. Things are gonna be okay. But then there's an interruption, an inconvenience. Verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal she had suffered a great deal from many doctor, doctors and over the years had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had only gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Understand like her plan. Her plan's a little bit different than Jairus' plan. Her plan was to to quickly and quietly and to remain completely unnoticed, to just come up behind Jesus, not, not bother Jesus, not like get Jesus' attention. In fact, it's the opposite. She's trying to not gain any attention. All she has to do, she thinks, if I can just touch his robe, then I'll be healed and then I will back out of the crowd and no one will ever know that I was here. She had enough faith. She had enough belief. I mean, I would even say that's kind of impressive faith where Jesus doesn't have to say anything. Jesus doesn't even have to know that I'm here. If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. But she does this in a way that she remains unnoticed. She remains anonymous. I don't want to bother him. I don't want him to see me. I don't want anybody else to see me. I don't want anybody to notice me. I'm going to do this quickly and quietly, and I'm going to get healed, and then I'm going to leave, and no one will notice. No one will notice. Verse 29, she does that. She sneaks through the crowd, comes up behind Jesus, touches his robe. And then verse 29, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Again, there's hope. It worked. I can't believe it. I mean, I had faith and I believed, but I always knew there was a little bit of a chance that this wasn't gonna happen and it actually worked. And she begins to like step back out of the crowd like, my plan is working. I'm gonna get out of here. No one's gonna ever know that I was here. Verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? So two quick things. One, if you're that woman, you've got to be kidding me. 
Like, man, I played this out perfectly. There's a crowd. Everyone's around. Like, there's no possible way he would have known. So she's starting to get terrified, right? But then you also have Jairus, who's like, we don't have time for this question. We don't have time to stop. And then you have the disciples there that ask such a good question. Verse 31, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? Like, it's a great question. Jesus, you're being ridiculous. Everyone is touching everyone. He's touching me, you're touching them. Like, there's people everywhere. How can you stop and ask that question? There's no possible way to ever know that. Verse 32, look what Jesus does. But he kept on looking kept on looking around to see who had done. In other words, I'm not leaving until I find out. Again, think of the two individuals here. The woman is getting more and more terrified, like, ah, uh, he's not gonna let this go. What am I gonna do? My whole plan was based around staying unnoticed, and now he's not going to leave until he sees me. Jairus, again, on the other hand, you've got to be kidding. Why are we stopping here? We have to keep going. We don't have time to stop. Jesus, please keep going. Jesus, please keep following me. What you're asking is unreasonable. There's no way to know who touched you, but my little girl is dying. So you have two individuals, both terrified. Both terrified. Verse 33, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what, he had, what she had done. And he said to her, Jesus said to her, man, don't miss this significance. Let this just listen and let this sink in. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Don't move too quick here, church. Jesus said, daughter, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Let's talk about the two sides. On one side, we see the power of Jesus that just by touching his robe changes things. That the power of Jesus causes change. It changed this woman's life forever. The power of Jesus causes change and it brings change because he is the ultimate authority. We've seen this in many other miracles where Jesus has authority and power over sickness, over disease, over all creation, over the spiritual world. We see again and again and again the power of Jesus and the ultimate authority of Jesus. And in this situation, his power brought about change, incredible change for this woman. Let's flip the coin over, though, and talk about the priorities of Jesus. What does Jesus really care about? This woman was changed. She was healed. She didn't need to look at Jesus. She didn't need to know Jesus or be known by Jesus. But it's interesting that Jesus said, no, that's not acceptable. This woman had faith. She believed. But her faith was based on a transaction. She had a transactional faith. I believe in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. I'm going to go and get what I need from Jesus, and I'm going to back away, and he'll never know I was here. That's a transaction. Jesus, here's what I want. Here's what I need. But I don't want to get close. I don't want to get personal. 
I don't want to know you, and I really don't want you to know me. I just need this one thing, and then I'll be gone. That's the kind of faith she had. And Jesus stepped in and said, no, that's not enough. That's not okay. It's not just about the healing. Notice that the words that he used here, he said, daughter, your faith has made you. Do you remember what it said there? Well. Well, if you look at that word well, that word well is a very big umbrella type of a word in the original language. It's not speaking to a healing. That's why he says your, he does not say your faith has healed you. That would have spoken to more of a physical healing. He says your faith has made you well. That's a whole lot bigger than just one physical ailment. He says, no, 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 no. The change that I'm bringing you is not just physical he says, I'm changing your identity. What did he call her? Daughter. daughter. He says, daughter, I see you. Daughter, I know you. Daughter, I want you to see me. I want you to know me. It's not enough for us to have a transactional relationship. He says, daughter, I want us to have a personal relationship. I want us to know each other, and I want you to be whole. I want you to be well. And that's not just this one physical problem you have. I want us to be us. See, the power of Jesus changed her physically, but it's the priority of Jesus to change her identity. And that is so true for us today. We come to Jesus with a transactional faith. Jesus, I just need some things done. And then, hey, I'll be out of your hair. I'll be out of the way. I'll keep going on with my life. You keep going on doing what you need to do. And Jesus stops and says, no, 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 no. I want to spend time with you. I want to see you. I want you to see me. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want us to be known to each other. So Jesus meets us where we are. And that power, he most certainly meets our needs. He is provider. He meets us where we are, but he calls us to a personal relationship with him. Jesus is not content with a transactional faith between us and him. He's not, that, that's, that's not his priority. He stops what he's doing so he can have a personal relationship with her and then he calls her daughter. The same could be said for us. He meets us where we are. Yes, he takes care of us. Yes, he provides for us. Yes, he does incredible things with us and, and in our lives and changes us. Oh, but he desires to know you and for you to know him. So he calls us to not just a faith, but a personal faith where we know him and he knows us. Let's shift back over to Jairus, right? This is the dad, the, the synagogue leader. And again, you've got to be thinking of him how long is this going to take, Jesus? We have something more important to do. Verse 35, the story begins to turn and focuses back on Jairus again. Verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Can you imagine the disappointment? Like, I don't even know the words to put in here. Disappointment, hurt, pain, frustrate, not even frustration, anger. Jesus, you weren't quick enough. Jesus, you stopped. Jesus, we had a plan. The plan was you follow me to my house, you lay your hands on her, and she's better. Jesus, that was the plan. You stopped. You deviated from my plan. And now my daughter is dead. And now it's too late, too late. It's almost as if, and we don't see the words here, but I'm, as a dad, I almost want to say, Jesus, if you had only listened to me, is what I would want to say. If you had only followed me, we wouldn't be in this situation. 
Real quick, this is gonna be important for the next part. Mark mentioned it twice. We have his name, Jairus. Did you catch his, his career? Did you catch his profession or his, possession, or his position? What is he? Leader of, leader of the synagogue. Let's talk about this for a second. And I'm gonna speak as, as a leader myself, right? I, I have the privilege of, of leading you. Um, so I, I say this and I hope there's a little grace here. Um, do you know what leaders are used to? Being listened to. You are doing a brilliant job of that right now, so thank you. <laughs> right, as a leader, and we're all leaders in different environments, home, work, community, church, like you know, we all have some areas that we are leaders in, and as a leader, I expect to be listened to. As a leader, I expect you to hear me and listen to me and then do what I say. As a leader, I don't like waiting, as a leader, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is my plan. I've got the idea. You heard me. We agreed on it. Now do what I said. And all of a sudden, if you don't do that, I'm like, now you're, just, now, now you're just disobeying or you're rebelling against me. Like all of a sudden, I start to take it personal, right? And so here, Mark makes it clear. This man's name is Jairus, and he is the leader of the synagogue. This man is not used to people not following his instructions. This man is not used to people making him wait, especially on something so urgent, so here's this man that has faith in Jesus. He fell at Jesus' feet and says, man, I know that you can heal him, heal my, heal my daughter, but you're gonna have to do what I tell you to do. My words, not his, but that's what it feels like. He says, I, I've got a plan, Jesus, and you are a huge part of that plan, but here's what we're gonna do. Follow me to my house and lay your hands on my daughter and I know she's gonna be okay. And it's almost as if Jesus is recognizing this man's faith but then he says, whoa, 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 hold on here. Hold on here, buddy. I know you have a plan. I have a different plan. I know you have a time frame. I have a different time frame. I know you have this whole thing laid out. That's not how this is going to work. And at the end of the day, Jairus's plan was to get his daughter healed. Oh, but Jesus has something better in mind. But it's going to require Jairus to, and the big W word, wait. Leaders don't wait well. And it seems like Jesus is leaning in to this man's faith just a little bit more than maybe he's comfortable. Next line, next verse, verse 36. Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And there's, there's, there's a little bit more than like just believe. It's have faith in me. Have faith in my timing. Have faith in my will. Have faith in my plan and my purpose. Not yours, but in mine. Have faith in me. Not just what I can do, but who I am. And to his credit, he backs off. And he begins to follow Jesus' will. If you keep reading, they head to his house. They basically, Jesus basically kicks everybody out of the house except for the parents and a few disciples. And he doesn't just heal this little girl. He raises her from the dead. Verse 41. Holding her hand, the little girl, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who is 12 years old, if you want to dig in, 12-year-old girl, woman who was bleeding for 12 years, I don't have time for it, but you can look into it. The girl who is 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Totally amazed. All right, last one, two sides of the coin. One side is the the power of Jesus. He can raise people from the dead. Jesus has not just power, but authority over life and death. He raised this girl from the dead. Flip side though, Jesus recognized this man's faith and it wasn't just about, do you believe Jesus can do what he says? 
Do you believe that Jesus can do miracles? That's not the faith that Jesus is leaning into here. He's leaning into this man, Jairus, to surrender to Jesus. It's not even about trust so much. It's, will you lay your plans at the feet of Jesus? Notice where Jairus started. When Jesus got onto onto the shore, this man fell at Jesus' feet. It was more so a fall at Jesus' feet in desperation, not necessarily in surrender. We can fall at Jesus' feet in desperation. Jesus, I need you to fill in the blank. We can also fall at Jesus' feet and say, your will be done. Those are two very different postures. Does that make sense? So the priority of Jesus was, Jairus, I want you to, to surrender to me. You've got your plans. You're a leader. You're used to people listening to you. I need you to listen to me. You're used to people following you. I need you to follow me, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it causes you frustrations, even when you don't agree. I need you to surrender to me completely. So Jesus meets us where we are. The power of Jesus meets us where we are. But he doesn't leave us there. He calls us to a deeper faith, in this case, and calls us to complete surrender. Not my will, but your will. Not my plans, but your plans. Not my timing, but your timing. Not me, but you. The power of Jesus meets us where we are, but he always calls us to a deeper faith. And we see that power, right? Through each of these four moments and miracles, we see the power of Jesus bring peace. We see in the power of Jesus create change. We see the power of Jesus give freedom. And right here, we see the power of Jesus bring life. Oh, but in each of those moments and in each of those miracles, Jesus was also calling to have a deeper faith. So let me ask you, man, two big questions for us to wrestle with. Where is your faith? Like, how would you describe your faith? On a scale of one to 10, how much faith do you have? However you want to think through it, where is your faith? And as you think about that, go back through each of these four moments in these four miracles, right? If we were maybe going a progression of their faith, we would start with the demon-possessed man. No faith at all. Zero faith. And Jesus still went to him and gave him freedom. Maybe that's you. I just don't have faith at all. Know that he meets you where you're at and he gives you freedom, not because you deserve it or earn it, because he desires to give it to you. That's called grace. Maybe you're more like the woman. You have faith, but it's not personal. It's transactional at best. I tell you what I need, you give me what I need, and we're gonna leave each other alone. Jesus is not okay with that kind of faith. He wants to be known by you. He wants you to be known to him. He wants to have a personal relationship with you, and he wants to stop everything and look at you. And he's gonna call you son, and he's gonna call you daughter. And he wants to make you whole. Maybe that describes your faith. Maybe it's like the disciples where you have faith. In fact, you, you profess, no, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. I go where he tells me to go. I do what he tells me to do. But when it comes to trusting in him, there's a few areas of your life that you're like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I'm going to take care of that because Jesus, Jesus can't take care of that. I trust Jesus with my whole life, but not in this storm. Not on the lake. Not with this. Maybe you just need to trust Jesus more. Maybe you relate to Jairus where you have faith, but man, it's about your plan, not his. And when Jesus starts to take you down a different road, you're like, no, 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 time out. That's not what we agreed on. That's not my ideas. That's not where I'm taking us, Jesus. It has everything to do with have you surrendered to him? Where is your faith? And the second question 
is what Jesus was doing in each of these moments and each of these miracles. What deeper faith might Jesus be calling you to? Where's he calling you? Does it have to do with a new purpose? He's given us a mission. When you've been freed by him, by his grace, we are now on mission to make disciples and tell others who he is. Does it have to do with your relationship, your personal relationship with him, just spending time with him? Is he calling you to trust him more in specific areas of your life? Is he calling you to surrender specific aspects of your life? I don't know what it is, but I know he's calling you to something deeper. I know he will meet you where you're at. And I know without a doubt, he will call you to something deeper. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for, for how you meet us where we are. I'm so thankful that you don't make us clean our lives up or jump through hoops to, to be with you. You meet us where we are, as we are, but you refuse to leave us there. That you continue to call us into a deeper faith, more trust, a, a more meaningful and personal relationship. You call us to a, a new purpose and a new mission in life and ultimately call us to surrender to you. So where is our faith? Would you, Holy Spirit, speak to us and convict us, reveal to us where our faith is today? And would you begin to lead us in next steps as you call us to a deeper faith? In Jesus' name, amen.